0: Tonight, we're going to look primarily at this passage in the topic of prayer in James chapter 5. So let me me read God's word for us. Uh, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. My brothers, if any among you are wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and our God, we, uh, we do just humbly come before you tonight and confess that we are dependent upon you. In so many ways, we feel our weakness. We feel the wanderings of our own heart, the temptation of sin, the cynicism that we experience, and even the doubts. And God, we pray that you'll renew us even tonight as we think about prayer and you at work, that you'll help us to understand your word. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Prayer prayer is one of those topics that uh, kind of just naturally induces guilt in Christians because there's always this natural kind of nagging feeling that probably most of you start to think about your own prayer life and you're kind of like, I kind of just have this sense of I could probably pray more could probably pray better. I could probably pray with more focus. And I think that's a universal feeling that we all have. In many ways for me, this was, you know, I always think every week whenever I'm preparing to teach and I'm preparing to, to lead us through God's word, it's always convicting. This especially so. Uh, I feel it. One of my favorite authors who writes on prayer, a guy named Paul Miller writes this. Tell me, tell me if this sentence, it's really a paragraph, tell me if this paragraph resonates with you. He says, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments, production, but prayer is nothing but talking to God. It it feels useless, as if we're wasting our time. Every bone in our body screams, get to work. And when we aren't working, we're used to being entertained. Television, internet, video games, cell phones make free time as busy as work. And when we do slow down, we slip into a stupor. Exhausted by the pace of life, we veg out in front of a screen or with earplugs. And prayer just feels hard. But what I want us to see tonight as we dive into these verses is that prayer is is both a privilege prayer is this great privilege that God has given us and it's also a duty for us as followers of Christ. There's these twin realities. It's, It's a privilege that we have as we have access to God and at the same time there is this component that prayer is a duty or it's a command that we're called to pray. So we're going to dive in on these verses tonight and see that prayer is this gift but it's not necessarily easy and so God commands us to pray. Let's Let's start off easy. First thing I want you to see tonight, prayer is the language of faith. Prayer is the language of faith. The first couple verses here, he starts off with this idea that uh, we should kind of like be praying at all times, no matter what is going on in life. If you look at verse 13 and 14, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray. Over him. In other words, it's almost like he's just kind of giving us some brackets around life. If life is hard and you're suffering, you should pray. If life is going well and everything's hitting on all cylinders, well, you should should give God praise. In other words, it's a form of praying. You should praise God for what he's doing in your life. And even if you're sick, well, then you're not just called to pray for yourself, but to surround yourself with the people of God, the leaders of the church, so that they can pray over you and be involved in this corporate gathering of prayer. And by the way, whenever he says elders, this is just kind of a side note. When they say elders, that doesn't mean the old people at church. The word for elders in the New Testament is the idea of the leaders within the church. Those who are in a a position as officers or, or leaders within the church, the leadership. But the idea, though, underneath this is that we're called to pray at all times. Prayer, he's telling us, is the language of faith. It's the language that we use in our relationship with God. It becomes part of our heartbeat. It becomes part of the air we breathe that God calls us to be a people who pray. So the question that would be natural to ask is, then, well, what is prayer? I mean, I don't want to make any assumptions. Maybe you're new to Christianity or you're new to the faith, or maybe you've grown up in the church and you've never really felt like you've had a, a great understanding of what it even means to pray. Uh, Let's admit there's a sense in which when you're first starting to pray, it kind of feels like this weird experience because like I feel like I'm talking to somebody but they're not there. And then it's a weird experience if you're in a setting where somebody calls on you to pray in public, and it's terrifying if you don't ever pray in public. You're like I don't know what to say. So what is prayer? Let's let's clear up some some mis, uh, some misnomers, if you will. Prayer is not meditation. Meditation's a great thing. Meditation could be a helpful thing. Meditation could be a useful trait that if you're Focused in on something and you're thinking about it and you're meditating on it, meditation is great. And there's a sense in which, as you're praying, hopefully you're focusing your mind, but prayer's not meditation. It's something different. Uh, Prayer's not a wish. You can see where that's an easy kind of uh, mistake to make, but prayer's not just like wishful thinking that if I can just kind of like keep this positive thinking of, of a wish, that somehow I can like will it into existence and my wish will come true. Prayer's not a wish. Nor is prayer like just good thoughts. This is Jeff Lee pet peeve. If you've done this, it's okay. I love you. We'll still be friends. But one of my pet peeves is when people, and I see this on social media all the time, hey, sending good thoughts and prayers your way. Like it's meaningful when somebody gets sends you a text and they're like, hey man, thinking about you today, drove by your house, uh, drove by our high school, whatever, maybe think of you, just want to check in and see how you're doing. That's meaningful and I appreciate that. When somebody's going through a hard time and you reach out to them and you tell them, hey, I've been thinking about you, I care about you, I hope you're doing well. As a believer, that's different. It's important, it's good, but that's different than actually praying to God. You don't send prayers to somebody, like, hey, I'm gonna just send some prayers over to you. Prayer, according to God's word, is actually communication with God Himself. Prayer is actually talking with God in a relationship with God in which we make known to Him our hearts, our desires, our fears, our journey. like everything that's going on in life, prayer is actually communication with God. Think about this, a very simple definition of that. Then. If, if prayer is like talking with God, think about the three components that make up prayer. There's, there's God, there's you, and there's the actual communication. We're going to keep this real simple, right? If God doesn't exist... There's nobody that hears your prayers. And if God doesn't exist, then go for it. Send prayers to other people, right? But if God really does exist, what a privilege we have to actually pray to him because he hears. And that's the conviction of of this, of God's word. It's the conviction of scripture. It's why he commands because he tells us that he hears our prayers. And so if God's real and if God's true, then he hears our prayers. What if we take you out of the equation? If you don't pray, prayer doesn't happen. There's nobody praying to God. Or if God exists and you exist, but you're not praying, once again, there's actually no prayer. So we would need all three components to be at work. You, God, and actually like communication for prayer to happen. And if you think about this, like in the normal course of human life, this doesn't seem like it's that foreign and it's really not that odd. Uh, how do you get to know somebody when you first meet them? Other than stalking social media, right? Like how do you get to know somebody? You you talk to them, right? And like as you talk to them, you hear their story, you disclose things about yourself, and then the give and take of like sharing information, like you actually form and build a relationship. And there's actually something, have you ever noticed this? Like in the aspect of talking, as you like, you're sharing about your life, and that's actually clarifying for your own thinking of what's going on in your life and how you're interpreting and what you're thinking about? I, God so often in, in his word compares himself to his people as a husband to a wife. And so I, I just have to use a couple of analogies in that way because I think it just makes sense. When, when I first met my wife, Jenny, a lot of you know Jenny, some of you don't. When I first met my wife, we were in high school. We were on a missions trip in Belize in Central America. Um, we were from two different churches, two different schools. We did not know each other. And there's all of these people in the high school, like mission trip. And they're all assigned to like these different jobs. We're working on an elementary school that we're actually like adding onto the school. And so we're doing concrete work. Some people were digging like footers around the thing. Some people were mixing concrete. And one of the guys, the leaders of the team, just like randomly reaches over and he's like, Hey Jeff, why don't you and uh, Jenny, why don't you two go over there and cut rebar together? So they handed us a hacksaw and there's a pile of rebar. And I was like, I hit the lottery. Like sweet, because I had seen her, right? Like, I she had caught my eye, but like, I don't know her at all. And so, what do we do for the next week? Sitting on a five-gallon bucket, like two five-gallon buckets, is gonna be really weird. Two five-gallon buckets, we're both sitting on a bucket, cutting rebar. And, and what are you, like? What are you thinking? This is my opportunity to get to know her. I'm gonna shoot my shot, right? But like, you're you're you're. You're disclosing things about yourself, you're asking questions, you're sharing of life so that what? You have the opportunity to get to know each other. Do you not see then the significance of God calling us into relationship with himself that he calls us in any and every situation in life to pray? Are you suffering? You should pray. Are you joyful? You should give God praise and glory. Are you sick? We'll call the elders together and pray. In other words, in every situation, you have the opportunity to pray. Think about that season of life. This, this story has just always stuck with me. As Jenny and I were dating, and one night we're talking on the phone, and she was like, she had this babysitting job for the neighbors across the street, and she could tell that the, the relationship between the husband and wife was, was just kind of like not really healthy, but they were going on a date that night. They had called her to come over to babysit, and as they're getting ready to leave, the husband says something to his wife about you know, whatever happened at work that day. And her comment was like in kind of an icy way was like, well, I guess I'll give us something to talk about at dinner. And you're like, like you can feel, you can feel the coldness in that relationship, right? Because if they're not talking, if they're not communicating, something has gotten sideways and is not healthy. In the same way, God calls us into relationship with him and he does so by calling us to pray if you read the gospels and you read the life of jesus what do you find jesus often doing withdrawing from the crowds to pray this is god the son in the flesh on earth and what is he doing he's talking with his father he's in communication with god himself first thessalonians five seventeen tells us to pray without ceasing and that can kind of be like this again convicting idea pray without ceasing what does that mean Do I not live a normal life? No, I think it means you live a normal life. But in the course of living your life, you have the opportunity to pray. You have the opportunity to engage with God with the things that are going on in your life. It doesn't always have to be like on your knees, eyes closed, and everybody's watching you. But just in the course as you're going about your day, God calls us to pray Without ceasing, I think about again, and this I think will be the last time I make the reference. But I think about in the context of 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 my relationship with my wife, what does that look like? All throughout the day, there's conversations going on. Doesn't mean that we don't have other things going on, other jobs, other responsibilities. But throughout the day, throughout the the you know whether it's uh, whether it's going for a drive, whether it's running an errand, whether it's just passing through the house real quick, what is it? But you're in conversation, sharing with one another, little snippets, little conversations here and there throughout the day. God calls us to pray in the same way to Him without ceasing. Are you anxious? You should pray. Are you fearful about the future? You should pray. Are you thankful for what God is doing? It's an opportunity to pray. Are you unsure? You should pray. <laughs> you can see this idea, like, whatever the question's going to be, you know the answer is going to be. You should pray doesn't mean it's all you do, but it's definitely the starting point. So much so that John Bunyan, one uh, one of the great Christian leaders in history, made this statement, you can do more than pray once you pray. You can do more than pray once you pray, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. I know you can go about your day with whatever problems you're facing, and the temptation that we have is to immediately think of my resources. Who do I know? who's the connection that i've got who can i call how can i fix this problem what can i do that's a normal but god's calling us first to pray you can do more than pray once you pray but as a believer you can't do more than pray until you've prayed so why pray second thing if prayer is the language of faith here's the second thing that god calls us to see in these passages is that well prayer is effective Prayer's effective Prayer prayer is the means by which God answers and provides for his people. Think about that for a minute. God calls us to pray to him because it's the way in which he provides. It's the way in which he responds. It's the way in which he answers. Look at verse 15 through 18. Real quick, look at how he's looking at the effectiveness of prayer. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. We're going to come back to this in a minute. Verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. It's effective. Prayer works. You're healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He's telling us to pray because God hears and because he responds. We saw uh, two weeks ago in a previous chapter, James chapter 4, that God's word says very clearly, you don't have because you don't ask. Man, that's a very clear, easy statement. You don't have because you don't ask. You see, God doesn't need us to pray. It's not that God can't do something without us praying, but it's that he invites us to pray. He invites us into that relationship with him because that's the mechanism or the means by which he responds to our needs and requests. Now, right now, if you're you're a cynical person, if you struggle with cynicism, a cynical person is the kind of person that's like, I, can, I always can kind of see what's going on. I can kind of see the agenda. I can see what's going on behind the scenes. And there's always an explanation for what's going on. There was a friend of mine recently uh, was, was called into a prayer service for a friend who was on his deathbed And the whole church is gathering to pray and committing to pray. And God brought this person from the clutches of death and restored him back to health. My friend said to me, as soon as the report came back that he was healthy and was going to survive, my first thought was, why did we spend all that time praying? Because he would have been fine anyways. Don't you feel that sometimes? (laughs) I say that not to condemn him. I say that because that's the nature of unbelief that we all struggle with. It's a cynical nature rather than seeing the response of, man, as God's people were called to pray in that moment, what an incredible privilege that God answered his people in prayer. You see, the reason why prayer works, the reason why prayer works is because God works. The reason why prayer works is because God is at work. God is at work right now in your life. God is at work right now in RUF. God is at work right now at FAU. God's doing things on this campus that we are not even aware of right now. There's people on this campus who are grappling with their faith or their lack of faith that there's a good chance we don't even know them yet, but God knows them and God is at work. And so he calls us to pray. He commands us to pray so that we might even experience more of what he's doing. Isaiah 49, Isaiah says that, you know, asks this question hypothetically, can a mother forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Think about that image. Can a a mother forget her nursing child, who she's holding, the one that she gave birth to? And then Isaiah says, even though she might, Isaiah knows how tired a mom can be. Even though she might forget, God says, I will not forget you. God does not forget his people because he's at work in their lives. And so he tells us in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's a question that a lot of people struggle with. Of what does it mean to be, to be a righteous person? Like on the one hand, you might think that, well, there's nobody that's righteous. There's not even one person that's righteous. So then how can I ever have any hope? Well, that's true. There is no one who's righteous in and of themselves, but in Christ, when your faith is in Christ, his righteousness is applied to you so that God sees you in Christ and has declared you righteous. So your prayer as a believer in Christ, as you pray in Christ, your prayer is powerful and effective. Even more so though, I think there's a little bit of a double meaning here. It's not just those who are believers, but it's also those whose lives are being so transformed by God's word that their lives, their desires, their hopes, their dreams, their thoughts are aligning themselves with the ways of God to which you can say that you are becoming a person who's defined by a sense of righteousness in a good way. And those prayers by that person are powerful and effective. And so he gives us an example. Consider Elijah. Verse 17. Consider Elijah. Elijah was a man who's in nature just like ours. And what's he do? He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it doesn't rain. And then he prays again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit very simple very simple uh, you know illustration I'm, james is like i'm trying to prove to you how effective prayer is look at elijah he was a man just like you and me he was a person just like us he wasn't god he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three years and he prays that it does rain and then and then it prays and then, and then it rains he's he's a, a righteous person whose power and prayer was effective why you see elijah wasn't just putting on a show Elijah's prayer wasn't like some sort of like magic act, like, hey, guys, want to see it not rain for three years? Watch this. That's not what Elijah was doing. There's actually something more going on if you could insert yourself into the Old Testament story. You see, at this period, this is one of the lowest points in Israel's history. It was one of the worst times of rebellion among the people of God to where they were worshiping a fertility god named Baal, and they believed that in the dry seasons that if they sacrificed to Baal, and by the way, these sacrifices would kind of make all of us go, those people should probably be in prison. Their sacrifices to Baal, they believed, would bring the rains to water the crops so that the land would be fertile. And Elijah is calling them to repentance. He's calling for the vindication of God. And so as a response to what God's calling him to do, he prays that it doesn't rain for three years to show that the reality of this world doesn't revolve around Baal, but it revolves around God himself. You see, this prayer wasn't about Elijah. This prayer was really about God. If the prayers of a righteous person are effective, the answer isn't for you to go find a righteous person to pray for you. Like that might be, but it's not so that you can get all your wishes granted. The call then is like, how can we become a righteous person in this same way? Some of you think I've got like my whole wish list. If I could find this righteous person to pray for me, like I need a truck, I need a roommate, I've met a girl at the gym and I need an A in chemistry, right? And if they will pray for me, that would be amazing. But that's not what James is calling us to do. James is calling us to be like Elijah in the same way, the prayer of a righteous person that's effective. And so here's the final thing for us to see. Prayer reorients us to prioritize the kingdom of God, prayer re- uh, reorients us to prioritize the kingdom of God. Notice how throughout this section of scripture on prayer, it's not just a call and a command to pray, but notice what's a central feature time and time again is this reality of your sins having been forgiven. Verse 15. If he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Verse 18, if any among you are wandering from the truth and someone brings him back, or verse 19, I mean, let him know that whoever brings back that sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude. Of sins. As you read throughout the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus is taking care of the physical needs of the people that He's confronting. Have you ever noticed this? Jesus is taking care of the physical needs of people who are sick, the people who are deaf, the people that are blind, the people that are lame. He's healing them. But He does something else in that moment too. He heals them spiritually. So often, Jesus looks at those people in their physical needs, and the first thing He says to them is, Your sins are forgiven. And you almost have this moment of like, Well, Jesus, do you not see that that guy's paralyzed? And what he's doing is saying that before he's coming to make the world right physically, he's coming to restore people and their souls to God himself in order to make us right internally for our sins to be forgiven, for our shame to be covered, for the righteousness of God to be known so that like we just sang a moment ago, we can sing those realities that justice smiles and asks no more. Jesus was confronted with the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11. And as he comes onto that scene and Lazarus has died and Lazarus's sisters are sad and weeping, Jesus makes this comment to the sisters. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. It's it's an amazing miracle. But have you ever considered the reality... (laughs) I don't mean this to be funny, but have you ever considered the reality that what Jesus is doing is proving in that moment that he has power over death? Like, Lazarus still died. Lazarus had to die twice. Jesus raised him from the dead to prove that that statement was true. I am the resurrection and the life. That there's life beyond this world. That even for the person who's sick that we've prayed for, as you can see in verse 15... You pray for the person who's sick, that God doesn't always heal them in this lifetime in the way that we expect. God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we necessarily hope. But what he's doing in those moments is reorienting our hearts and our lives to prioritize the kingdom of God so that we see this world for what it really is, broken, a level of emptiness, always falling short, so that we might prize even greater the very kingdom of God. Of God. So he says to Lazarus and he says to the sisters, I am the resurrection and the life that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he lives. So to live a life of prayer means for your life to be oriented in this Godward direction, to prize the things of the kingdom of God, to seek first Jesus and his righteousness. And he promises that all these other things will be added you. The life of prayer is the life of faith. It's the language of our heart because prayer is effective and its effectiveness is seen in drawing us into a closer relationship with God in order to be more like him, in order to value the things of his kingdom. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and our God, we do confess that so often uh, our prayers are shallow. Uh, So often our prayers are short-lived We don't often suffer long in prayer. And at the same time, God, you are a God who hears and who draws near and invites us into a relationship with you. And so we ask that even as we uh, discuss these questions that are before us, and even as we think about the hope that is ours in Christ, that you'll make us a people who pray, that our dependence upon you will be seen and known and felt. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.